Amen. Okay, you may be seated. And uh, we're going to let the uh, children be dismissed for uh, Junior Church. And I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. We're going to look at three verses this morning that I think are somewhat familiar to us. We begin reading in verse uh, 35 in just a moment. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the importance of God's Word in our life as a means of beginning the new year and evaluating where we stand with the Lord and uh, encouraging us to be sure that we make God's Word a vital part of our life. Another area that I think we sometimes need to evaluate is the area of our responsibility as believers to share the good news of Jesus with the world around us. I don't know about you, but it's very, very seldom in my Christian experience do I feel that I am doing an adequate job of sharing my faith in Jesus with others. It's an area where I want to do better, strive to do better, but I never quite come to that place where you feel like I'm doing all that I could possibly do. And I think the honest truth for most of us this morning would be simply this. We wish that we did share our faith in Jesus more regularly. We're troubled by the fact that we don't. And so this morning, my my challenge to you is this. Take your evangelistic temperature this morning, okay? And if you want to think in terms of a scale of 1 to 10, ask yourself, am I completely cold and uninvolved in sharing my faith? Or am I hot in a sense we say as Christians, that person's on fire for Christ, loving Christ, sharing Him passionately? If I'm cold, here's what I'll find in my life. I don't pray for the lost. I'm too busy for those without Christ. I walk past opportunities that are very clearly present, and I rarely tell others about my faith in Christ. On the other extreme, I think we would say this. A person who is full on in their desire to share the good news of Jesus will be characterized by regular prayer for the lost. Their eyes are open to meet the needs of those around them. They make time for those that don't have God. And when they have opportunities to share their faith, they seize them. Okay, so these two contrasts, what I want to challenge you to do this morning is, if, if we put that on a scale of 1 to 10, from cold to extremely active, hot in terms of our evangelistic fervor and zeal, where would you find yourself this morning? Pick a number from 1 to 10 and say, you know what, that number between cold and absolutely on fire for Christ, this is the number where I stand. It may be a 3. You may have to say honestly before God this morning, God, I'm a 1. Some of you may be able to say, you know what, I'm at a 10. God has my heart filled up, and I have been seizing opportunities and praying for those that don't know Christ and sharing the truth with them. I want to encourage you to look at this passage of Scripture with me this morning as a means of challenging each one of us to to begin anew, to refresh, to ask God to fan into flame those glowing embers of love for Christ and love for the lost. Fan them into flame. And say, God, I want to have a heart that is hot for you. That is passionate about communicating the good news of Jesus to the world that I live in. Matthew 9, verse 35. The Bible tells us, Jesus was going through all the towns and villages. And that was just his pattern. He was going, always on the move, seeking others. He was teaching in their synagogues. And preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds he was moved with compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into the harvest field. This morning, my challenge to you is this. My challenge is that we would seek, by the power of the Spirit of God, to cultivate a heart like the heart of Christ. It is impossible to read through the Gospels and not realize that the Savior came to seek and to save that which is lost. He kept on going out into his world, meeting needs and seeking to communicate the good news of the gospel. And so this morning, I want us to first make three observations about the life of Jesus from this passage of Scripture. Just three simple observations, and then I want to move into three applications that move out of that into our life. So let's work our way through this text, just three simple observations. The beginning of the text says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Okay? This idea of all the towns and villages indicates that he was on a circuit. He was on a path to be sure that he touched base with all the towns in the region within which he ministered. And so I think what we could say this is this, first of all. Jesus' life was characterized by an active pursuit of others. Okay? He lived a tireless life. It's not that he never got tired and had to unplug, but he was always at it. As you read through the Gospels, you just find this. Immediately he goes here and immediately he goes there. He was active in his pursuit of people. And what I would, what I would uh, kind of deduce from that is this. There was something intentional about the work of Jesus in relationship to those that did not have knowledge of the good news. He planned his day around the needs of others. One passage that comes to mind when you think about the intention of Jesus to share his faith is John chapter 4. The woman of Samaria. Jesus is preparing to go from Jerusalem up to the north to the region of Galilee. And here's what the Bible says. He had to go through Samaria. John chapter 4 and verse 7. It was the plan of God that he would go into Samaria there to seek a very specific woman who had need of the gospel of God's grace. And so he altered his course, took the route that would be less efficient, but most effective in fulfilling the mission that Father had given to him. This woman, who was caught up in a life of sinfulness, was the reason that Jesus went. Why? Because Luke chapter 19 tells us why the Savior came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the whole purpose of his coming. And so in the living of his life, what is he doing? He is on this active, intentional pursuit of others. And in his death, he is actively pursuing the benefit of others through the sacrifice of his body on Calvary's cross. And here's a thought that I think you will find interesting. The Bible says he was going through all the towns and villages, and this time in the area of Galilee, and then at times he travels down to the southern portion of the land of Israel. Folks, I want you to think about this. Jesus only left the land of Israel one time. Do you know when that was? It was when he was a child. You know what the Savior did? He, he, he picked a field to work, and he worked it tirelessly. And intentionally. Jesus was always going to share the good news. He actively pursued people. 
in a very specific place. Because I think that sometimes we, we get so overwhelmed by, the, by the, the scale of the evangelistic need that is present in our world. Jesus worked a particular field. He worked it completely and effectively. Spent his life in a place called Palestine. A land smaller than the state of New Jersey. Why? Because he loved the people there. And he sought to seek and to save those that were lost in that place. Second thing that Jesus does. And I want you to notice this in verse 35. He went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues and preaching. Notice what it says. The good news of the kingdom. Okay, the good news of the kingdom is what Jesus was speaking. Jesus shared difficult truth. I think one of the reasons that we are silent in terms of sharing our faith in Christ is because if I'm going to share the full gospel, there's part of the gospel that has an edge to it. There's part of the gospel that wounds an individual before it heals them. John chapter, or Mark chapter 1 tells us what it is that Jesus was speaking. John, or Mark 1.14, it says this, After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. What is the message he was proclaiming? Listen to this. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Okay, all of that, that's the easy stuff. Here's the hard part. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, Jesus, when he shared the gospel, shared the difficult truth that precedes the good news. The, things that make, the thing that makes the good news good news is that there is bad news that precedes it. The bad news is that in my sinfulness and in my rebellion, in my flesh, I fail to keep the standards of God. The good news is that there is hope for every person who is willing to go before God and say, God, I acknowledge that I fall short of your expectation. Jesus did not hold back in sharing the difficult part of the good news. And I think sometimes we have to challenge ourselves to love people enough to tell them the part that is difficult. About nine years ago, I was standing in the basement beside my oldest daughter, Rebecca. Uh, it was a youth group event with many of the kids that aren't even here anymore. Most of them are on college and off into their careers. And I remember standing beside my daughter that day, and I put my hand on her back, just, oh, hi. You know, I, and when I did that, I felt, I felt something that was out of whack physically in her back. Okay? Her Left side, I would say, in the lumbar area, was out about an inch further than the other side. It was, it, I could, in touching it, I could feel it instantaneously like that. And I thought to myself, that, so there's something wrong there. Now, I had a choice. I could say, I know there's something wrong, but I don't want to scare my daughter, I don't want to scare my wife, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Okay, it turned out uh, that we did say something to her, and the end result was that she had un undergo eight hours of surgery at New York University Hospital in order to have a problem resolved and fixed. She had scoliosis, a sudden onset of it, a thoracic and lumbar, okay? When I felt that, we automatically lined up an appointment with the doctor, took her to the doctor, got a diagnosis, and the doctor had to tell her the hard truth. Because if she and her parents didn't understand the hard truth, we would not seek the remedy that he could provide. Every good doctor knows that they have to have the courage to speak hard truth to people so that once they understand their problem, they will seek a remedy. And folks, this is exactly what Jesus does. 
He goes out into his world and has the courage to speak the hard truth that people need to repent of their sin. But the good news is that he had come to die on the cross to pay the price for their sin. Jesus actively pursued. Jesus regularly shared the difficult truth. John chapter 4, and this is a, a, just a fascinating passage of Scripture. As Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well that he intentionally sought out, as I mentioned earlier, he asks her a fascinating question. And it's a question that cuts right to the very heart of her guilt and sinfulness. He says to her, go and call your husband and come back and talk to me. She looks at Jesus and says, I have no husband. And then here's what the Savior says to her. He looks at her and he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man that you are living with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. That woman is broken by her sinfulness, begins to realize through that difficult news that she falls short of the standard of God. She responds to the salvation and gospel of grace that Jesus Christ offers. And then she goes back into the town. And what does she automatically do? She says to the people in town, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Now, I don't think that means that Jesus rehearsed all of her sinfulness. I think it simply means this. Jesus was willing to acknowledge before her that he understood her brokenness and sinfulness. That was not an easy message to share. I am sure for her that drudged up all kinds of thoughts of difficult things and struggles that she had experienced in her life. But that bold truth, that cut, opened the door to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as you look at Jesus, he is constantly going about seeking opportunities. He is regularly and consistently sharing difficult truth. But here's the part that I think is so critical. Wrapped up in this text is a very simple statement about the miracles of Jesus. He went out, he was delivering people from demons. He went out and was healing them from their sicknesses. Which, if I was to summarize that, what's happening? The inbreaking of the kingdom with the power of the Spirit of God, as we see in many areas in the world where there is this miraculous intervention of God through people that are going out to serve the needs of people around them. What is Jesus doing in these statements of service to others? You look at the last part of verse 35. What does it say? It says, He was sharing the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't simply see a crowd of people. He saw the needs that were represented by everyone that stood before him. He looked past the facade of a well-ordered life and saw the true need of the heart that was present in their lives. The third observation I would make is this. Jesus truly cared for people. When it says he was filled with compassion, it means that tenderness and active pity rose up in his heart. It was not simply something he felt. It was something that caused him to move into action on behalf of those that he was looking after. He saw that they were hopeless and without guidance. The word literally means to be harassed and tossed to the ground, cast aside. Because that's what the religious establishment did for the average person at that time. The Pharisees in their pride looked for the destruction of sinners. The Savior came and died to pay the price for every one of us who is willing to see our need of Him. There's a distinct difference between the religious attitude of the world 
and the loving, compassionate attitude of Jesus. Jesus was filled with compassion. And what he does is this. He couples meeting real life needs with sharing eternal truth with people. Folks, this is something I think is critical in our evangelistic efforts, in our desire to let others know what Jesus has done for them. We must be people who move in action, who engage people at the area of their felt needs so that we, as we speak to them, we ring true that the message of the gospel really is good news that is coming from loving people who serve others. Jesus Christ ordered His life around meeting the needs of people. Matthew chapter 14, as He goes from Jericho up to Jerusalem on what is called the Jericho Road, two blind men are crying out to Jesus. There is a throng, a multitude with Him. Why is the multitude there? Because they have seen the works that He did. They saw His compassionate heart and were interested in hearing from Him because they felt His love. They sensed His love. They experienced His love. As this crowd is following Jesus... Two blind men who are beggars cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know what the crowd says? You know what the disciples say? He's busy. He's got an important task to do. You can't interrupt him right now. But you know what the Bible says? It says that Jesus heard the cry of those men in Matthew chapter 14. He was filled with compassion. Not just, oh, it's too bad that they're in that state. No, he was filled with compassion, actively sought them out and said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And that day Jesus interrupted his busy life to meet their needs. You can read in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14 also. Jesus is looking at the multitudes that he's been teaching all day. It's getting later in the day. The disciples come and say, Jesus, Jesus, come here. We need to talk to you quick. It's getting late, they say to him. You need to send the people away so that they can get something to eat. And you know what Jesus does? He says to them, why don't you give them something to eat? Why don't you get actively involved in their lives? Challenges the disciples to trust Him, to be the bread of life, the giver of life. And then what does He do? He he provides for them out of compassion. Folks, why were people attracted to Jesus? Because He was a man who went, He was a man who spoke bold truth, but He coupled the evangelistic endeavor with a life of selfless service and sacrifice. Folks, that is attractive to the world around you. Jesus demonstrated to people that he cared and then won the opportunity to share with them the good news. We need to see people like Jesus saw them and act out of a heart of compassion. So the three observations, our Savior actively pursued people with intention. He shared difficult truth with people and he really and honestly cared for people that were in need. Therefore, he coupled meeting real-life needs with communicating the good news of Jesus. Now, three challenges that I think we need to heed if we are going to cultivate a heart like the Savior and sharing our faith. The first thought is this. Learn to speak the gospel in the context of selfless sacrifice. See what Jesus saw when he looked at the world around him. He didn't see, he wouldn't have seen a lot of traffic, a lot of people at the mall. It's not what he would have seen. He would have seen needs. Folks, I challenge you to do this. Look into the eyes of people. Break out of what is what we could call our comfort zone. Start to engage people. I mean really engage people. When you're at the grocery store, truly seek to interact with people. 
sense and meet needs. That's what the Savior did. When he was going throughout all the villages and towns, he had a purpose. It was to teach them and to love them. May God put that kind of a burden on our heart. That we as a church family would begin to infect this community with a love for Jesus that compels us to move into action, to even start at a small level with acts of love, with a warm greeting. The result in the life of Jesus was this. Great crowds followed him. Not because he hid the hard truth. Jesus, study the Gospels, read through the Gospels. Jesus spoke very difficult and cutting truth. Why? Because he loved people enough to tell them of their true need. He would not let them sit in a comfortable life experience. No, instead, he honestly and courageously and coupled with acts of love brought the good news into their life. Our life of love is the setting in which the hard truth of the gospel makes great sense. Live love and then share the love of God that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Folks, ask yourself this question. Do the people around you that you interact with at your job, in the grocery store, at the gas station, wherever it is in your life, are you known as a friendly person? I don't mean bubbling extrovert, okay? I mean, are you known as a person who genuinely cares about people? who looks them in the eye, who looks to see what the needs are that are present in their life, or do we quickly rush off into our busy, busy life? We need to speak the truth of the gospel in the context of acts of love. The second thing we need to do is this. Like Jesus did, take personal responsibility for your sphere of influence. Okay, I want you to look at verse 37. Jesus looks at the crowd internally. He is deducing, and it's fascinating because Matthew, Matthew's writing this, but he understands what the Savior is thinking. He's watching him. And when Matthew watches Jesus looking at the throngs, and look, I mean, the crowds were so strong at times that Jesus, in one case in the Gospels, had to get in a boat because the crowds were pressing upon him, threatening him to push him into the Sea of Galilee. They were longing to know him. Because his heart was so full of love and compassion. Matthew observes all these people coming to the Savior. And he says that when Jesus looked at them, he saw their real need, that they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep in need of guidance. They were without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The sobering reality of this text is this. The problem in the evangelistic equation is not with the world around us. The problem in the evangelistic equation is with the church. When you drive out of here today, when you go to your home, you go to the grocery store, you go to the diner, you go to Enzo's to eat some pizza, whatever you do, there is a multitude of people around you. When you go into your week and head off to work, drive down the road, walk into the workplace, interact with neighbors, there is a vast need on the part of people to hear the good news of Jesus. What Jesus identifies is that there is a lot of work to do, but not many willing workers. Are you a willing worker in the harvest field? Has the heart of Christ touched your heart so deeply 
that you become a person who goes out there intentionally saying, God, my natural tendency is to be concerned with the things that concern me in life. That's where I want to focus my attention. But you, Jesus, lifted up your eyes and you saw people for what they really were. You saw their true needs. Give me your heart. Go out and seek to close the gap between the great need and the lack of workers. Every believer, I I believe this, every Christian is responsible to share the good news of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is our great commission. Go into all the world and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Our approaches and sharing our faith may differ. And I understand that this morning. Okay, I understand that some of you find it very easy to you naturally engage with people. You'd love to shake someone's hand and get to know them. You, you find it very easy to edge your way into someone's life and to begin to get to know them. Some of you struggle with that. And then there's a lot of us that are just kind of in the middle. Okay, we're average people. My challenge to you this morning is this. Our approaches differ. But the responsibility that we have is the same. The responsibility is this, to seek and save like Jesus did. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, what you saw me do, go and do it. That's why he called the 12, so that he could be with them and allow his life to rub off on them, so that when he was gone, they would carry on the mission that he started. It's why he didn't have to go outside of Palestine. Outside of the land of Israel. Why? Because he raised up an army of people that would take the good news of Christ out into the rest of the world. It was kind and loving of him to focus on that area in his ministry. Raise up people that would then go out and begin to make a difference. And I challenge you in a loving way this morning to realize that our approaches may be different, but our responsibility before God is the same. Some of us can be confrontational and direct in sharing the gospel. Some engage people at an intellectual level. Some at an interpersonal level. Some at a testimonial level, sharing what God has done for them. Some at an invitational level, where they'll invite people to events that are taking place in their church family and invite them into the context of other Christians who have a strong gift of evangelism. Folks, it doesn't doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is that we fulfill our God-given responsibility to take the good news of Christ out to the world around us. And I I just, I I give you this challenge, okay? You will not have any greater joy in your Christian experience than the joy that you will have in sharing the good news of Christ with others. Very little will ever measure up and live up to the kind of joy that Jesus intends for us as his children than the joy that you will have in sharing with people what great things God has done for you. You know, we sung that song this morning, he is, you are stronger, you are stronger, right? Christ is risen, okay? That's the good news, that no matter what your problem is in your life, there is a Savior who died for you to conquer all of your sin, all the things that bog you down, that cost you to be harassed and thrown to the ground without guidance. He loves you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ. And that, folks, if you know that message, uh, look, after my daughter experienced her operation with her doctor. Every time somebody has, and a great success came out of just a, a good, effective outcome. Every time somebody mentions to me that their child is, has scoliosis, you know what I do? 
I said, there's a doctor. You need to go see him. Where is he? He's up in New York City. Well, he's not in my plan. I was like, oh, bummer. <laughs> Why? Because he, he's just so effective. He's the editor of Spine Journal. He'll take really good care of your child. You, you want them to know that there is someone who can meet the crying need of their heart. As they wander around thinking, where am I going to go? What am I going to do about this need? Now, my, somebody comes to me with back issues. I say, Dr. Thomas Errico, that's the guy you should go see. All right? Why? Because for the person who has hurt and need, he is good news in terms of physical back pain. Same thing is true about Jesus Christ. He is the good news for those that realize that they are caught up in a pattern of sinfulness and rebellion against God and they need deliverance. He is hope. And we as believers need to take responsibility in our sphere of influence and the way that God has gifted us to reach out to others. And the last thought that emerges is in verse 38. And this kind of comes to the heart of the text. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, Jesus says, ask the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, therefore, in light of the crying need and the gap between the great need that is present and the lack of workers... Okay, in light of that, take time to ask God to intervene on people's behalf. And the third thought would be simply this. Engage in prayer consistently. Trust Him by prayer. To raise up people in your sphere of influence, include yourself in that prayer. And so the gospel say this, Lord, send me. There's a need out there. I see that need on a regular basis. Father, use me to be an instrument of change and challenge in the life of people around me. The message translation translates this, this verse this way. It says, on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Okay, in light of all of this, you know what Jesus says? There is a great need. On your hands and knees and pray for harvest hands. Pray for hands that are ready to go out and engage in the work. The encouraging thought, I think, in the midst of this, it is that the field is his. He, he is the Lord of harvest. He hires the workers. He sends them out. He's sovereign in control of the harvest. What he wants us to do is join with him in what he is doing. Boldness and confidence in sharing your faith in Christ will come from realizing that God is with me in this endeavor. But he is only with us in this powerful and important way when we pray. Prayer is crucial to the endeavor of sharing our faith with others. It is vital. It is central. And our church family will do training, things like what we're doing in Sunday school now with the way of the master, to help people and to equip them to more effectively share their faith. We'll do outreach events where we say to you, invite your friends to come to this Valentine dinner concert or this Christmas concert, whatever kind of other events we may be doing. The purpose is to give opportunities to invite people to come and hear the good news of Christ. But all of those efforts are ineffective if they are not coupled with persistent and consistent prayer. They will lack power. If you listen to what we're talking about this morning, you go home this afternoon and examine this text, and you gain a conviction that God wants you to go out and make a difference in people's lives. If you gain that conviction, and you just simply get up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to go out and do this, and you don't pray, here's what you will find you will find that you will fail in the endeavor. Why? Because evangelism 
the task of sharing the good news of Jesus must be coupled with consistent prayer. Because prayer is the means by which we invite the power of God into our lives. And we invite Him to go out into the field ahead of us and to break up the hard ground so that the seed of the gospel can find entry and make a difference. If you read through Acts chapter 1, I think you'll find something very fascinating. You find Jesus ascending up into heaven. Before He ascends into heaven, He says to the disciples, go into all the world, but wait till you have power from the Holy Spirit. After that, what happens? Verses 12 through 14, they go into the upper room and the work of God in the church age is birthed through a prayer meeting. That's how the work of God begins. They met to pray and then went out to serve in the power of the Spirit. Effective, consistent, perpetual prayer should mark the life of every believer who desires to have a fervent passion for the lost. I think the challenge that I would give to you this morning as you pray is this. Pray that God would soften your heart. Pray that God would allow you to see the crying need that is around you. Pray that He would just open your eyes. Say, God, give me the eyes that Jesus had when He walked this earth. When you go to the grocery store, when you go into your workplace, when you you know, a lot of you are involved in education. When you look at your classroom, you look at the, all that, just the mobs and masses of people moving around in various spheres of influence in your life. Ask God to show you the need that is present. And ask Him to give you a heart of compassion that will not simply sit back and sigh, but that will go into active mode to seek and to save the lost and to join the Savior in doing that. Some this morning will, may say, well, I don't have time to engage with people. I don't have time to, I, I'd like to, but it, it's just hard for me to find time to engage with people in the evangelistic endeavor. Here's wise advice. Do you have time to pray? Because if you have time to pray, or if you don't have time to pray, I'm going to tell you, you've got a problem. Okay? But if you take time to pray, ask God for His heart. Let Him reorganize your schedule. Don't say, okay, I'm just going to take up my calendar and rewrite everything in my life so that I have time to do this. No, why don't you pray and ask God to reorganize your life? Why don't you ask God to let you see how your daily life interaction with people are the opportunities that God has put before you if you are willing to reach out and share the good news of Christ. Jesus could say this. He could say, as he talks to the woman at the well and the disciples come and say, Lord, we brought you some lunch. Aren't you hungry? What does he say? He says, I'm not hungry. Why? Because my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. You know what Jesus is saying? Great satisfaction is found in sharing the message of hope with needy people. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you, you might say, Pastor Tim, I never have come to see the hard truth of my sin. Therefore, the cross of Christ has remained a distant religious relic icon for me. It's not personal. Here's what I want you to see. The heart of Jesus is for your salvation. When he thinks of your need, he is filled with compassion. He is touched at the very center of his being. He is filled with pity for you. So much so that he went to a cross on a hill called Calvary 
to pay the ultimate price for your sin. To stand in your place and to bear the consequence for your sin. That's what the Savior did. Why? He loves you. And He wants you to know Him personally. And if a Christian friend comes to you and says, Do you know Christ? Do you know Him personally? Have you seen your sin? Don't be offended by the hard truth. Let the hard truth be what points you to see your need for the cross work of the Savior. And trust Him. Christian friend, realize, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because He loved you. And the message that He brought to you of His cross work as the means by which your sin is covered and you are forgiven is the message He wants you to take to the world around you. Couple that activity of evangelism with acts of love and with fervent prayer and watch what God will do. Evangelism is the will of God and I believe that when we pray that God would use us in the endeavor, we're going to see God work in a powerful way. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?